Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, through Matthew 8, verse 22. If you've been here for a while, you know that we've been um, working our way consecutively through the book of Matthew, uh, week after week, studying God's word together, and this week we come to Matthew chapter 8. We'll just begin reading a couple verses before that. As we come to God's word, why don't we pray together and ask for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning uh, to hear from you. We desire to hear your word, uh, to be fed by you on your grace, to be led by you through the scriptures. We pray most of all that you would show us Jesus in the scriptures this morning, that we would see him in all of his glory, that we would believe on him afresh and receive uh, the forgiveness of sins and that we would receive the assurance of our salvation in your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Well, there are three things among many, many others that tend to hinder discipleship in the Christian life. One of those things is, is not believing that Jesus calls us to it, not believing that Jesus calls us to follow him. 
A second is not believing that Jesus has the right to call us to follow him. And then a third is, is believing that Jesus calls us to follow, that he has a right to call us to follow, but not liking it. Now, if, if you're not a Christian, you may wonder if Jesus has the right to call you, to command you to follow him. And of course, many Christians believe that, that Jesus calls us to trust him as our Savior, but not to follow him as our Lord. And almost all of us, regardless of where you are on the spectrum, find ourselves at some point not wanting to follow Jesus, whether we know it's right or not. Well, in this passage this morning, we see that Jesus is full of authority and compassion. As we see Jesus for who he is, these, these hindrances tend to fall away. We see Jesus' authority over life and death itself in this passage. We see, we see Jesus call us to follow him, and we see his compassion. And as we see his glory, the glory of his authority and power, coupled with his compassion for sinners, these things woo us to follow him. Jesus is our compassionate king, and his kingly authority commands us to follow, and his tender compassion moves our hearts to do just that. Well, our outline this morning, you can find it in your bulletin. It's recognizing Jesus' authority, noticing Jesus' compassion, and answering Jesus' call. First, we'll look at recognizing Jesus' authority here in this passage. In uh, Matthew 8, uh, verses 1 through 22, that passage begins with three stories, three miraculous healings. And each of those emphasizes, in a different way, Jesus' authority. First, you have the story of the leper. The leper comes to Jesus, and he, he kneels down, and he calls him Lord. Now, that could be just a polite address, right, a gesture of respect. But in light of Christian teaching, right, Matthew may be trying to tell us more, that this leper is recognizing Jesus as the Lord, his God, Paul says, at, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will do that. Well, here this leper has already begun to bow his knee and confess to Jesus. It's interesting, when this leper comes before Jesus, he doesn't ask a question. He makes a statement. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. See, apparently this leper recognizes the authority of Jesus to cleanse. He has no doubt about Jesus' power, only about his willingness to help. If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds simply, I will be clean. And immediately the leper is cleansed. This leper comes and recognizes that Jesus has power and authority over sickness, and Jesus responds by healing this man with a word. Then you have the story of the centurion next. This centurion comes to Jesus. He's a, he's a Roman military leader. And he doesn't bow to Jesus, but he does call him Lord, and he appeals to him. He says his servant is lying at home, unable to move and suffering. And interestingly, again, this, there's no question here. The centurion doesn't ask anything. He just states the facts. He comes to Jesus and says, this is what's going on. And Jesus responds and says, I will come and heal him. You might think, well, that's what the centurion was looking for, but the centurion actually stops him from coming to his house. 
He stops him for two reasons. One, the centurion says he's not worthy to have Jesus in his home. And maybe he knew it was against Jewish law to go into a Gentile home because that would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean. Apparently, uh, Jesus wasn't bothered about becoming ceremonially unclean because he was willing to go into the centurion's house. But the the centurion was bothered by that. He respects Jesus as a Jew. And he says, you have no no need to come to my house. I'm not worthy of that. The second reason that centurion stops him is because he knows that Jesus only has to say a word and his servant will be healed. Now, this is really a rather amazing confession, right? The centurion says that he too is a man under authority with others under him. See, the centurion is saying he's under the authority of Rome, the Roman emperor. When he speaks to those under him, he speaks with the authority of Rome. So when he speaks, people listen. And he's drawing an analogy here that we need to spell out. He's saying Jesus is under the authority of the Father. And and as under the Father's authority, Jesus has the Father's authority over whatever or whoever happens to be under him. See, like the centurion is under authority and has people under him, he says the same is true of Jesus. He's under authority and has people under him. And the implication here is that the physical body of the servant is under the authority of Jesus. That sickness and disease are under the authority of Jesus, and the centurion knows it and confesses it. Jesus only has to say a word, and the servant's body will be made well. Again, this is amazing faith in the authority of Jesus. And Jesus says as much. He marvels at the centurion's faith and responds, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed, and instantly the servant is healed. Then we have one more story in the last story. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, and he spends the night healing various people with a word. Now, the emphasis in these three stories is Jesus' authority over sickness. That's highlighted by the words of the centurion, right? He, He outright says it. Jesus has authority over sickness and disease. It's demonstrated, of course, in all three of the healings because with a word, Jesus heals the leper. With a word, Jesus heals the centurion's servant. And with a word, he heals Peter's mother-in-law and many who come to him that night. Jesus heals physical bodies, physical sickness with just a word. And yet here we have really just a glimpse of Jesus' authority over death. It's not just sickness, but death. Lepers in that culture were considered as good as dead. Ostracized from the community on the outside, they might as well have been dead. They were the living dead. The servant who's unable to move and suffering terribly was likely to die in that culture, which had limited medical means. He he was paralyzed and in pain. These are not good signs. And even Peter's mother-in-law, she has a fever. Well, a fever is a symptom of any number of deadly and then untreatable infections. And so all three of these people were on the verge of death in one way or another. But Jesus gives the leper new life. Jesus saves the centurion's servant from death. He gives Peter's mother-in-law a second chance, right? Jesus has authority over life and death. With a word, he brings healing and life to these three people. He exercises that authority with a word. Of course, the question is, why or how? How does Jesus have this kind of authority, authority over death itself? 
And the answer, of course, is because death is a result of sin. Now, not, not that everyone, uh, every sickness that everyone has is a direct result of your own personal sin or something like that. That's not what I mean. But that sickness in general is a result of sin's presence in the world. And death especially is the result of sin. And Jesus has authority to forgive sins. He's going to say as much in chapter 9. There Jesus says that his ability to heal proves his authority on earth to forgive sins. To turn back death is to undo the effects of sin. Jesus has authority to turn back death because Jesus has authority to undo the effects of sin because Jesus has authority to forgive sins because Jesus' very mission was to come into the world and die for sin, to pay for it, to suffer its penalty in order to free us from it. And we see Jesus victorious over sin, over sickness, over death in the resurrection where death is undone. And Jesus himself is given new life in the resurrection. He has authority from the Father to pour that life out on us. Jesus has authority over death because of his resurrection from the dead. And what we see in Jesus' healings is that he came to deal with sin and its effects in the world. Jesus has authority to forgive sin and so to undo sin's curse all around us. Do you recognize that authority? Do you recognize the authority of Jesus? Are you willing to bow your knee to him and call him Lord? Is that scary? I think it is. I think it should be in one sense. That, that offends our pride that we would bow our knee to anyone. It fuels our fear of not being in control. It, it challenges our self-promotion and self-indulgence that life is not about me if I'm a servant of another. It is scary. And yet let's keep going to not only recognize Jesus' authority, but also to notice Jesus' compassion. Notice who these people are who Jesus interacts with. He interacts with the leper. The leper, it, lepers were outcasts in that society, as we said. Their disease, which really could have been any number of skin diseases, not just what we call leprosy today, but any number of skin diseases. But their disease, whatever it was, meant that they were unclean. They were unable to participate in the religious life of God's people. They were unable to participate in the social life of God's people. They weren't even allowed to approach people. In fact, one commentator said that it was against the law for them to greet people. They, 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 they were held off from the community, and their fear was twofold, right? On the one hand, of course, they, there was the fear of getting leprosy, but on the other hand, there was maybe even the greater fear of being made unclean. Because if you're unclean, if you were unclean, you can't participate in the life of God's people. If I touch you, I become unclean, and then I can't participate in the life of God's people. And here are people with an immense sense, then, of, of shame, of being alone, of being outcast, of being ostracized from the community, of being untouchable. And the leper's question, right, shows this view of himself, doesn't it? Because the leper questions Jesus' compassion. And as we said, the leper doesn't doubt Jesus' power at all. He only doubts Jesus' willingness to heal. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Would Jesus really heal someone like me? That's what the leper's saying. 
Who am I that I should ask for Jesus' help? Do you ever feel too ashamed to ask Jesus to cleanse you? Do you ever feel too sinful to be forgiven, too bad to be loved by God? Right? That's the condition of the leper. That's the way he feels in this moment. That's why he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And of course, notice Jesus' response. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. You see Jesus' compassion in that? He, he, doesn't merely, he isn't merely willing to heal the leper. He is, and that's compassionate. But there's more than that. He first touches him. He first touches him. Right? He touches him in his uncleanness. He doesn't heal him and then touch him. He touches him first. He reaches out and touches him and says, I will be clean. Jesus is willing to be made unclean for the leper. He shares the leper's shame. He shares his uncleanness. But of course, Jesus' touch doesn't contract leprosy, right? Jesus' touch heals it. The same kind of thing is true with the centurion, right? The centurion would be like a, a captain or an officer in the field of battle, right? A, a, he, would, he would have been a Roman citizen. He likely would have been a Gentile. He's possibly not very religious at all. If he is religious, he would have been a pagan. But Jesus is willing to become unclean by going into this Gentile pagan's house. His compassion and willingness to heal the servant of this centurion meant his willingness to become unclean for pagans. And then finally, you have Peter's mother-in-law, a woman lying sick with fever. And I want you to notice about all three of these people that all three of them were outside the mainstream for a religious Israelite. So Gentiles, right, again, could not participate in the religious life of Israel. Gentiles were outside. They were unclean all the time. They couldn't participate. Female Israelites could not fully participate in the religious life of Israel. And Israelite men with leprosy, right, could not participate at all in the religious life of Israel. Here are people who are on the outside, and yet Jesus has compassion on them all. No one is outside the compassion of Jesus. Again, have you ever felt outside his compassion, outside the love of God, unsavable and unlovable? Well, Jesus comes to love the unlovable, to touch the untouchable, to save the unsavable. He comes for the religious and the unreligious, for the Jew and the pagan, for the clean and the unclean, for the righteous and the sinners. And Jesus saves by taking our uncleanness upon himself. That's obvious in the first two stories, isn't it, right? As we've said, by touching the leper, by going into the the, uh, centurion's home, Jesus would have become unclean. But this is the way Matthew interprets all of Jesus' healings. Look at verse 17. There we're told, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew says Jesus healing these people is a fulfillment of Isaiah's promise that he would come and take our illnesses upon himself. Now Matthew is quoting Isaiah 53, where it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And Isaiah goes on to say, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus bears our burdens. He takes our illnesses and disease ultimately by bearing the source of all illness and disease, sin. Jesus does not just become unclean, but Jesus becomes sin for us and is judged for that in the cross. See, Jesus had such compassion on humanity, such love and such care that he took on sin, that he suffered the judgment of God for sin in our place. He faced the judicial wrath of the Father at the cross. And Matthew's point in telling the story of Jesus' healings is not to say that that every Christian should expect to be physically healed, but to prove that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And Jesus will one day take away all of the effects of sin in this world. And as we see Jesus lightening the effects in the here and now in these stories, it gives us hope of our eventual resurrection when all the physical effects of sin will be done away with at Jesus' return. And so we have hope. We see that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. We see that he's able to remove the effects of sins. We know from the rest of Scripture that he will do that at his return. Do you know Jesus' compassion? Right? Do you know that he is ready to forgive? Do you know that he will return one day and rid the world of all the effects of sin? And do you hope in him? Well, having seen Jesus' authority, having noticed his compassion, we, we're ready to answer Jesus' call. There, there are a couple of ways we see Jesus' call in this passage. It's interesting, actually, throughout chapters 8 and 9, Jesus is constantly telling people to go. We'll see that this week. We'll see it next week, a couple weeks. Jesus is constantly telling people to go. And you might say, okay, so what? What difference does it make that he's telling people to go? Well, remember where this gospel is going. Remember that at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, Jesus is going to say, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, therefore go. Well, here's a passage about Jesus' authority, and he heals someone, and then he immediately responds, go. See, the the essence of discipleship to Jesus is being sent to serve. And Jesus tells the leper to go, show himself to the priest. Jesus tells the centurion to go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And then we have Peter's mother-in-law, who isn't sent anywhere, but immediately she's healed and begins to serve Jesus. See, healing leads to sending. Uh, Jesus heals and then people serve. Jesus gives people both life and a new purpose in life. To serve him. This is seen in, in verses 18 through 22. Let me read those again for you. Verse 18 says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. The purpose of these verses in this place is is to show that discipleship, one, it, it follows being cleansed by Jesus. It follows being healed by Jesus. But discipleship is also costly and immediate. See, to follow Jesus means to give up a right to, to the normal comforts of life. I mean, you may have them, but you may not. 
And by following Jesus, you're giving up the right to demand these regular comforts, right? You're saying you're willing to go without the normal daily things like, like a house and a bed and a pillow. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. To follow him may mean we have no place to lay his head. To follow Jesus is also a present obligation. It's right now Jesus calls us to follow him. The man who wanted to first bury his father, he wasn't saying, my father is dead, let me go bury him. Because if his father was dead, he wouldn't be there. Right? In Israel, people buried their dead the same day. Right? Which means if his father has died, he wouldn't be there talking to Jesus about discipleship. If his father had died, he would have gone immediately to his father and prepared him for burial. The man is saying, let me live out the final years of my father's life. Let me care for him in his old age. And when he dies, let me bury him. And after I have finished my obligations to my father, then Jesus, I'll follow you. And Jesus' response is, is, is essentially, no, follow me now. But actually, his response is a little, it's a little enigmatic. It's, it's a little unclear, right? He, he says, um, let the dead bury their own dead which is kind of an odd statement because clearly the physically dead people can't bury physically dead people. Uh, maybe Jesus means let spiritually dead people bury physically dead people. Uh, that, that's probably the best answer. I, I'm really not so sure, to be honest. But here's what I do know. I do know that, that this is the Jesus who has just displayed his power over death. And now he's saying, don't let death control you. Follow me now. This is the Jesus who calls us to discipleship. He says, follow me. Give up your right to everything and follow me. Follow me now. Don't wait. You don't know what tomorrow might bring, right? There, there's no greater obligation you have to fulfill. Follow me, says Jesus. And the Bible promises, of course, that, that one day at Jesus' return, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the, uh, the Father. That's what we've said. Every, everyone will recognize Jesus' authority on that day. The question is, do we recognize it right now? Are we going to follow him right now? If you're finding it difficult, if that's a struggle for you in your work, in your school, in your family, in your neighborhood, if, if it's hard to live for King Jesus, which it is for all of us at some point, maybe I should say for all of us, most of the time it's a struggle on some level or another, if you're finding it difficult, remember this, right? Jesus is our compassionate king. If he had no authority, his compassion would be powerless and weak. But if one only has authority and no compassion, authority can become monstrous and misused and, and empty manipulation. But Jesus has a compassionate authority and an authoritative compassion. His kingly authority commands us to follow his Tender compassion moves our hearts to do it. Come to Jesus, right? Find healing and life in him and then go and follow him, right? And, and as you go, show and tell others about the compassion and authority of Jesus, right? Tell people with your words, show people his authority by your obedience to him. Show people his compassion by being compassionate in his name. Come to Jesus and then go and follow him. Let's pray. 
Our Lord Jesus, we, we pray that you would give us what it takes to follow you. We recognize we don't have it in ourselves. We, we're, we're, we're scared, we're selfish, we're uh, afraid of what it might mean. We don't want to give up our lives and follow you. We don't want to recognize and give up the right to have comfort. We don't want to follow you right now. We want to do so many other things first. We pray that you, would, that you would melt our hearts with your love and your glory as our great compassionate king. And that as you melt our hearts, we would follow you. We would follow you wherever you go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.